In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our gospel lesson began when Jesus came into the outskirts of Las Vegas. Wait. Uh, No. When Jesus came into the outskirts of Casablanca, um, help me here, where was he? Oh, 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 that's it. Yeah, right. Thank you. All right, when Jesus became into the outskirts of Caesarea Philippi, but who cares? Well, when we read a gospel narrative and the writer takes the trouble to tell us where something happens, we probably better pay attention. If you were here last week, you will remember that where Jesus was is what engendered his encounter with that pesky Canaanite woman that wouldn't give up. So what's with Caesarea Philippi? Well, okay, it's just north of, the, of Israel in Gentile territory at the foot of Mount Hermon and the headwaters of the Jordan River. It had a long history as a center of idolatry. For centuries, the fertility rites of Baal worship. Then the Greeks added a shrine to Pan, the god of nature, and that set forth uh, orgies of a kind of decadence that you would find it hard to think about. To this, when the Romans were in charge, Herod added a temple for emperor worship, and then his son Philip named the place Caesarea Philippi in honor of Caesar and himself and turned it into a summer fun getaway spot for himself and his court. My point is that this famous and infamous pagan playground is the place that Jesus specifically chose to be the scene of what we know as Peter's great confession. You are the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. Remember that the headwaters of the Jordan are here, and the pagan temples are all around, so Jesus is literally, physically standing at the border between the true God's territory and the false God's territory like a conqueror, planting God's flag in enemy territory. Timing is important, too. The disciples have been with Jesus for nearly three years. This great confession is delayed. And it's inductive. They have seen him in action. Could that give us a clue about evangelism? Anyway, this is the first time that Jesus has asked the disciples about himself. In good rabbinical style, he poses a question, who do people say that I am? And the disciples do a kind of multiple choice, to which the right answer is none of the above. So he cuts through to the real issue. Who do you say that I am? Now, the you here is plural. The question is for all of them, and each of them, and so it is today. A question for the body and everybody in the body. As we all know from TV quiz shows, not all questions are created equal. The questions in our lives range from things like, have you seen my blue t-shirt? To, why don't you want me to wear my hair in purple spikes? To, will you marry me? But this particular question from Jesus, who am I to you? I propose outranks all the others. 
because this is the life or death question. And because the answer to that question, properly understood, will shape our answers to lesser important questions, such as, why am I here, and what shall I do with my life? If you get the Jesus question right, you can handle any hard question that life will throw at you. Really. Guaranteed. To no one's surprise, Peter speaks up. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, at this point, Peter certainly does not know all of what it is, but he knows Jesus is it. He is the anointed one, the king, son of God, who is alive, and all other gods whose temples you see in Las Vegas or Casablanca or Pittsburgh are dead. And Jesus exults, good for you. You got it. Now, I know most people here before me have heard all this before. This is an old story, so why am I bothering to preach about it? Because I believe that in the United States of America today, we are in the borderland between godliness and godlessness. And we need to stand with Peter and declare that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. Christians may differ on many points, but this is not one of them. The unique divinity of Christ is non-negotiable. It is the very definition of Christianity, and it is the united witness of all the faithful in all the great Christian traditions, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Protestant. And I remind you that it is, by the way, why we left the Episcopal Church, because that church no longer affirms the unique divinity of Christ. But Peter's great confession does not end the story. Answers have consequences, friends. And we can see what happens to Peter by watching his name. Actually, his mom and dad gave him the name Simon. The first time Jesus met him, he gave him a nickname, Rocky. The Greek word for Peter, Rocky, is a kind of broken off rock here one minute, over there the next, a sort of rolling stone. But there's another Greek word for rock, and that word means a rock that is solidly in place, a part of a geographical formation. So what happens to Peter is that the rolling stone is transformed into a rock. Not instantly. We all remember that he denied the Lord three times, did he not? And, but the book of Acts accounts how Peter's, Peter's key preaching did open the kingdom to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and finally to the Gentiles. And at the end of his life, Peter stood fast and died a martyr rather than deny his Lord. Do we get that saying the right words isn't all there is to it? It's vital that if we say with Peter, yes, you are the Christ, we also purpose to walk in the way that transformed him from a rolling stone to a rock. Answers have consequences. Several years ago, one frigid, lustery, snowy January Sunday, I was sitting up here, And just as the Eucharist was about to begin, I was suddenly 
visited by the fear that I had left on the headlights in my car, of my car. I did, the car did not have automatic turnoff in those days, and I had been here since 7.30 because I preached at both services. Now, you know that we move around up here in various liturgical movements, but those movements do not include leaving the church and running out to check your car. So I could do nothing but stay. And sure enough, I had left the lights on and the battery was dead, whereupon I braved the storm and became, began accosting people, asking, do you have jumper cables? Do you have jumper cables? Let me tell you, my highly unscientific research showed that everybody who drives to the Church of Ascension owns jumper cables, and nobody carries them in the car. But I wasn't asking for information. I wanted action. So when Jesus says, who am I to you? He's not taking a survey. (laughs) He expects action. Now, probably most of us here this morning have long since said to Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the one. Yet every survey of American religious practices reports the same phenomenon, that by a huge, huge percentage, Americans say they believe in God, but when asked whether that belief makes any difference in their life, they say no. So let's imagine this. Someone asks you, will you marry me? And you say, oh, yeah, I I think so. Yeah, I will. I love you, and you love me, and this is going to be great. So there's a big ceremony, and you invite all your friends, and you take vows, and there's a photo op, and there's a party. And then you get into your car alone and drive off, calling out, that was fun, I'll call you. You said the right words, but you didn't intend to live any differently. You have your life, and you're not going to change. It's not as if you're going to totally ignore the person. You will drop in from time to time, certainly on their birthday. I bet that most people here have at some point taken baptismal or confirmation vows. The question is, do those vows shape us and our lives? Do we actually live them? Or do we just wave to Jesus and go on our way? Not that we're insincere. We're busy. Jesus can wait, but that isn't his intention. Let me be very clear about this. Our Lord is not offering the kind of stuff that we get ads about all the time, like memorize 10 classic novels without reading them, or the body you want in just three minutes a day, or play a Mozart concerto the first time you touch the keyboard. No, this is not another self-fulfillment scheme. Our Lord longs and intends to transform us, to make us what we were created to be, just as he did for Peter. Our New Testament includes two short letters from Peter, by the way. Listen to what he says in the first one. Now, this is Peter speaking. Jesus is the living rock. He calls you to be living stones. You yourselves are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Think of Solomon's temple. Magnificent, incredibly beautiful, wondrously decorated, filled with the glory of God, and made from stones cut at a quarry for just that purpose, to be the house of God. Right now you may feel more like plastic or possibly styrofoam than like a strong, vital, beautiful stone. But Peter says, that's what you and I really, really are. Is that exciting? Living stones being built into a dwelling place for God. Well, if that be true, what quarry did we come from? Well, the Old Testament lesson told us. Were you listening? God says, listen to me. You that seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. That's where we come from. The church of living stones is not built upon, is built upon the rock. It is not a toys are us plastic playhouse. We are in the long biblical faith tradition of God's people chosen by him to be the building stones of his very house, holy and beautiful. Think of Michelangelo's sculptures. You can probably picture at least two of them, probably the Pietà. Remember that one where Mary is holding the dead body of uh, Christ in her lap? And everybody has seen the David. Do you remember it? That breathtaking, ideal, perfect form. Do you know how Michelangelo worked? He went to the quarry, studied various huge chunks of marble, and selected one. In the chunk, he could see a form. And he understood that his job was not to impose a form on the marble, but to reveal the form that was already in there, to chip away whatever was keeping the form from being revealed. Furthermore, he also studied the marble to discern its flaws so that he would not, by some careless blow, shatter it. Friends, that's what God does with us. He selects us. He sees what we may become. And he sets about to carefully, redemptively reveal the beauty that only he can see. Yes, he will have to chip away some crud. But his hands are sure, his knowledge is perfect, and his only motive is love. As Christians, we stand upon the capital R rock, Jesus Christ. But beware, there are plenty of other rocks that look attractive. A few miles north of us, there's a body of water called the Slippery Rock Creek, or in my hometown, Crick. And there's a school called Slippery Rock University, which has fans all over the country, not because they know the school, but because they like the funny name. But the Slippery Rock Creek is not funny. It's a very dangerous stream, and the danger is that it doesn't look dangerous. The rocks really are slippery. I can attest to this from personal experience. You see the danger signs, but instead of looking for a bridge, you think, ah, I can get across there faster by crossing the stream. So you roll up your pants legs and take off your shoes and start hopping from rock to rock across the stream. On rock one, you discover that you can't keep your footing, so you hop to rock two, and there you're tap dancing faster than any dancer you've ever seen. 
So you hop to rock three and you fall in, feeling like a fool and possibly breaking an arm or two. You have to take my word for it because today even stepping into the creek is forbidden, yet every, every year somebody drowns. We all need to look out for slippery rocks, stones that look the best way but can cripple or kill. There are lots of them, but let me suggest three samples. Slippery stones of belief. One, the slippery rock of, is Christ really the only way? Two, the slippery rock of, can I trust the Bible? Three, do I really need God at all? That's when you fall in. There are slippery rocks of behavior. For example, rock one. I'll cheat just this once. I'll never do it again. Slippery rock two. I'll watch porn for just a few minutes. That can't hurt. Slippery rock three. I'm really a nice person. But she drives me nuts. So just this once, I'm going to post something really mean and vicious about her. Danger. Those slippery rocks will break your bones and drown you. So, if, as Peter says, we are living stones being shaped by God, do we have any choice? Oh, yeah. Unlike Michelangelo's marble, we are not passive. We cooperate in the work. Peter's verse that I read, that we are being transformed, appears in some translations as, let yourself be transformed. It's not either or, it's both and. So, assuming you don't really want to be the deadly slippery rock, what kind of living stone do you want God to form you into? There are lots of possibilities, but I'll suggest two, which you'll remember because they're alliterative and resemble each other. Would you rather be a millstone or a milestone? A millstone is heavy. It's ponderous. What it does is grind. That's all it does. It grinds and grinds. It pulverizes whatever it touches. Do you really want to grind and pulverize everybody who is unfortunate enough to live close to you? Or would you rather be a milestone? You can still see milestones along old roadways. A Roman milestone at least bore the name of the emperor. But typically, a milestone also told you the direction to walk in and the distance to the next town. So, you can be, for other people, not a millstone, but a milestone. Bearing the name of King Jesus, showing them the way, and cheering them on to the city of God. So, on this day, at this hour, in this place, you and I stand with Jesus on the borderland. We really can't live with one foot in God's land and the other in godless land. So let us for the first time or the umpteenth time boldly confess Christ and ask him and trust him to shape us into the temple of his glory and into milestones on the king's highway.
Amen.